Hope you're doing well. Um, we're going to get to our Nativity series in just a second. Um, but first, I want to just kind of talk with y'all pastorally for a second. Uh, generally, actually, we're only go- coming up on our fourth year, and generally, uh, actually never so far have occurrences, national occurrences, that have happened in our life as an America, as Americans, um, caused me to shift or change or address. There's been tragedies, no doubt, but I haven't addressed them um, because generally if you make a practice of addressing everything of the week, then you just end up doing that every week and not preaching. And so um, I haven't ever week to week addressed things. And I'm not saying things like the event at Fort Hood wasn't a tragedy or the shootings at Virginia Tech weren't a tragedy. Um, But this past weekend couple days ago in Newtown, there's just something about that that causes us to maybe have to stop and not to minimize the other tragedies that have happened over the last couple of years, but there's something in us whenever we hear about five and six-year-old children being shot that causes us to need to know what's going on, like why, and I don't understand, uh, and I'm sure you've probably read, just like I have, some of our favorite pastor's blogs coming on it, bringing comfort, praying, things like that. Um, one of the things that I read that really caused me to want to actually talk this time when I generally don't address occurrences um, is one of the things that was said is, pastors, are you, um, have you been preaching, teaching um, in such a way over the time that you've been a pastor that when these things happen in... Not, you know, the distant far off in other towns and cities, but in your own church. Are you preaching and teaching in such a way that your people are ready? Because it's not a matter if, but it's a matter when. These kinds of tragedies, maybe not, of course, to that that level. But those kinds of things are happening. And so the question that arose to me is, pastors, are you preparing your people yourself? And so, um, and that just means, are we week in, week out, before the tragedy happens in our lives, um, talking about the greatness of God, talking about the sovereignty of God, talking about the goodness of God, laying a foundation so that when something happens, um, we're all turning towards God, wanting to try to figure out um, from the scriptures, you know, what's going on, Lord, we don't understand, and receiving from him the comfort that we should be um, seeking after rather than completely rebelling against the Lord and not understanding who God is. Uh, There's a lot of times where I've had conversations and I try to, um, in my own, not that I'm Mr. Answers, uh, give a picture of of what's going on. And I think the way the Bible kind of helps us understand um, things. There's, There's been times where I've sat across from people who have had a close friend of theirs be killed or actually commit suicide. And so they're asking me, why didn't God, if he's good, stop that? Why didn't God, if he's all-powerful, make it not happen? Um, why would he let these things kind of happen to me? And so I, I try to, this is just an illustration I use, and maybe it's helpful, but I want to start off with that and then for the next five minutes maybe give some ideas and, and some talk about some things about how we can think um, in a way that honors God, and then we'll go into this week's series. One of the things I use is if you're looking at a, a, a picture book of a wedding, you're kind of flipping through and you're seeing snapshots. You're seeing a, a split half second 
of an event that happened over the course of, you know, five, six, seven, eight hours, or, you know, if you're wanting to get out of there, two or three. Um, but you've got these little snapshots. And so we have this picture. We have a, an eight by ten where we can see that happened right there. You know, they're, they're saying I do, or they're walking down the aisle, or they're eating, or they're greeting, or, or whatever. And we just see a snapshot. Um, but then you also have a, a wedding video where if someone actually pushed um, start and then you have the entirety of the video, you could actually, when it gets to that snapshot, press pause, pick up the snapshot and put it right up next to the TV and you can say, oh, look at that. That's the exact moment this particular thing happened. Um, and the best way I can try to understand it is all of our lives amount to, when it comes to all of time, a snapshot uh, an 8 by 10 video, and God has the privilege of being able to see the entire video, and we have the privilege, and we have the limited capacity to see just an 8 by 10. We, we haven't been given the gift by God to be able to take the step back and not only see the entire thing, but be the person that actually created time, who stands outside of time, and is infinitely good. So, whenever we... C- or in these midst of these tragedies, we, we want to know, how do I react? How do I think? What honors God? I need some answers. Um, and I think that there's really two ways for us to think and react. Um, both are biblical, and both are God himself reacting to these things. Before the tragedy happens in the right amount of time after, not in the midst of it, but the right amount of time afterwards, there's a way that re- we react to those things. We, we're trying to build up a good foundation and trying to teach people about the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, and understanding that because of Genesis chapter 3, evil has entered the world, and it brings God more glory for him to give us the power of more choice. He wants his creation, specifically humans, to be given what's known as, I I, I know sometimes we use free will, I'm not a big fan of that word, I like the idea of actually saying power of moral choice, he's given us the ability to make moral decisions, and he's decided that that brings him the most glory for us to have the power to make moral decisions, and those moral decisions sometimes will be evil, will be wrong, but he's he's decided that that brings him more glory, Um, but in the middle of those things, we can look, if we, if we zoom in maybe on, on the unspeakable tragedy, we can see how does God react towards these things. And if you are familiar with the book of John, you see Jesus is walking up to the tragedy of Lazarus, who's died, and Mary and Martha are upset. And in those moments, in those very um, emotional-filled moments where two sisters, their brother has died early, they're very upset, they're very, very, um, they're They're crying. Jesus doesn't take this big step back and start trying to lay down theological foundations. He doesn't say, well, you know, God is good and God is sovereign. He just, in that moment, God himself enters the situation. We have a high priest who knows how to empathize. He knows how to sympathize. And the scriptures just say, and we all know that because it's the shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus wept. And this wept, there's two words in the Greek for cry and sob. And he sobs. He enters into the situation. So in the tragedy, in the moment, I think the most God-honoring thing we can do is let the emotions of it happen to us. Um, Those are real. I I mean, I've got children of my own, and I just couldn't stop crying as I started thinking about the tragedy. And as I'm even watching our president try to tell us about the tragedy, he can't even hold it together. And these are the right kinds of reactions that we feel whenever we think about these kinds of tragedies. 
Jesus himself modeled this for us. In the middle of tragedy, um, the most honoring thing that we can do, if it happens to us or it happens to close friends, is be there and cry with them, much like our Lord did. And then outside of that, before it happens, we want to be as, as smart as we can to build a correct foundation in the right amount of time afterwards as people are coming out of the feelings of it, we want to do the exact same thing God did. In the book of Job, Job has very much these things happen to him. Um, not, not just, you know, there's, there's two kinds of ways, if you will, that evil or tragedy can happen. There's natural disasters, but there's also the moral disasters. Um, and there's moral choices where Job loses some of his children to natural things, storms, but he also loses some of his children to armies coming in and killing his children. And then Job's reaction, I think, is the most God-honoring thing we can do. The Lord is given, the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then there, throughout the book of Job, we see all kinds of things where they're trying to figure it out. Job's trying to figure it out. He's, get, he's got these three you know, terrible uh, people that are coming to give him advice. Um, but in the end, God himself shows up, and not, it's different than, than Jesus was Lazarus as he just weeps with, with them and, and feels the emotions. That's the way we, we react in the immediate. But in the broad sense, leading up to a tragedy and then the right amount of time afterwards, we, we need to act like God where he shows up towards the end of the Bible, and, or towards the end of the book, and he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You, you weren't here Whenever I decided the way the, God, the world's going to work, I'm God and I've decided. And I do, because God, who he is, is good. It, anything he does because he's God is good. He answers those questions for us in, in the kind of the big picture things for us as well. And so um, I think the right way for us to think and react is according to the way God reacts in, the, in those things. Which is in the immediate, like Jesus with Mary and Martha in regard to how they, they think about Lazarus. And then, like God himself in the story of Job, whenever he lets us know that he is good and he is sovereign and he is the one that has created all these things and all things are moving forward for his glory and we don't understand it. We have a, a snapshot of a life and don't have the ability or the infinite ability to understand as God does all of things happening for his glory. And there's wisdom to know how to counsel someone in those situations. Um, in the immediacy of a tragedy, we have to be like Christ in that moment with his sisters. And just pray the Lord has given us the favor and the ability to, leading up to that, um, give great understanding of who God is like God did with, in, in the story of Job. Um, where we can react like Job. The Lord is given, the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And after the tragedy... Um, I've heard John Piper say when he lost his mother, John Piper lost his mother very early in life, and he said, you never get over a tragedy. We don't tell people they get over a tragedy. When your right arm has been ripped off, you don't tell someone that you're going to live the rest of your life like your right arm hasn't been ripped off. You learn to live the rest of your life missing a limb. And so when you lose somebody, um, you don't live the rest of your life and just finally get over it. You help people learn how to live the rest of their life based on the fact that they've lost someone and now they just try to uh, go the rest of their life trusting in the Lord. And we find ourselves, I think, much like Romans 8 where it says, all of us now groan inwardly as we wait 
eagerly for the redemption of our body. And if you notice, if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, you finally come to the point where all you can say is, Lord, come now. Just come right now. I'm ready for you to finally wipe away every single one of my tears. And if he doesn't come now, we learn to press into him more by the power of the Spirit and just wait and trust and say, you're my only portion. All I have is you. I don't understand But much like all of creation, I am also groaning, just wanting your second coming to happen now. And I trust you, and I'm going to live in this tension now. Um, I think those are some of the best things that we can have. I mean, I I can't unpack for you right now in five, ten minutes the the problem of evil at all. But I wanted to at least get the ball rolling. I invite you. I, I mean, I read a great post by David Platt this past week and a couple days ago, day ago. Um... He has a good, good blog on it. I, I invite you to maybe go check his out. John Piper wrote one as well. It was really good. So I'm going to pray now. And, of course, if any of you have any more direct questions, pointed questions, or just, you know, I don't understand, Fudd, talk to me some more, more deeply. I want to talk to you between services, after service, or whatever. But I'm going to pray now, and we're going to go into our, our, our Christmas series. Let's pray together. Lord, I, uh, I need you right now. I need you right now to come and, and help us as we look into your word. We trust you and we love you and we know that you bring us together weekly for a reason. You want us to feel and experience the greatness of being able to gather together corporately as a body, worship you together. It's a great gift to be able to be with our, our body and lift high praises to Christ weekly because there's an ebb and flow to life. Sometimes things are great and we want to share and rejoice with others. Sometimes life is tough and we need to hear each other and comfort each other and um, pray for each other and love one another deeply be in community with each other so we know what's going on in life. And I just pray now, Lord, that you would come as we gather together and hear from you this morning as we see what would be appropriate responses to understanding the good news of Jesus and the glory that's been revealed to us on the cross. This great message should cause real, tangible reactions in our life. Be with us now as we look into your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if it's possible um, for all of us to, (laughs) I know it's almost impossible, for us to, let's, for the next 30, 35 minutes, try to almost take up a different topic. It's not necessarily a different topic. Um, We're going to be looking at the Nativity series that we're doing. And last week, if you weren't here, Jack began the Nativity series starting with the Magi. The idea is the Nativity, the traditional Nativity, um, whether it's the Veggie Tales or a really nice one, um, has several characters at the the little... uh, you know, barn. Usually it's a barn. It's more than likely was a cave, but, you know, for our American purposes, it's a barn, and Mary and Joseph were white, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we have at the, at the thing that we have 
Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, and we have the shepherds and we have the wise men. Now, we learned from last week that the, the Magi, uh, coming from the east, the wise men, actually didn't come that night. They probably came at least a year and a half later. Um, but we're just looking at every one of those particular characters in sequential order each week, and we're just going to look at that scripture that talks about those characters and see what it is the Lord wants us to learn. So last week we looked at the, the scripture text in Matthew that dealt with the Magi, and then Matthew 2, 1 through 11, and what was it that the Lord wanted us to learn as we looked at the Magi, um, and we talked about worship last week. My assignment, or my uh, Verses this week, we're going to be looking at the shepherds, and then, of course, the next couple of weeks will be Mary and Joseph, and then big surprise on Easter, oh, I'm sorry, on Christmas Eve will be Jesus Easter. Um, but so we're looking at the shepherds today, which means we're looking at Luke 2, 8 through 20, and then we're going to see what the Lord would have us learn from that. So I'm going to read this particular text, and then uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and jump in. Um, you can stay seated this particular time, uh, just for um, time's sake. Let me read these particular verses, 8 through 20. And then we'll, we'll jump in. Verse 8 in Luke chapter 2. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and take that one underneath you. Verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. <laughs> kind of funny. But behold, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that would be... For all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one, or, one, said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondered them in her heart, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Now, um, last week I was a little bit bummed that I didn't get to do the Magi for one particular reason. Whenever I was at, co- at college at Charleston Southern, a story happened and it would have been perfect to happen to be able to tell that story along with the Magi. But since I'm talking, I'm just going to tell the story anyway because it's awesome. Um, so whenever I was at Charleston Southern, I did not have this idea and I wish I would have. Uh, out at the front, if you've been to Charleston Southern, there's this really main, main road that's out there, and they actually put a, a nativity scene out at the road. And this nativity scene, it's not some hu- small thing. It's actually a huge, like, life-size nativity scene, maybe even like the size of the stage. They put it out right on the road. And if you've ever been to Charleston Southern, the baseball field is back in the back of the campus, but now it's at the, it, back then it was at the front of the campus. And somebody, I don't know who, I really wish that I had the idea, but it was not me. Um, somebody in the middle of the night went to the nativity scene, took the three wise man and took him over to the baseball field and put him on first and second and third base over the night. So the next morning when you wake up, the Magi are playing the infield. Um, and I just thought that that was actually an amazing story. I have, I have nothing else to apply to that particular story. If I was speaking last week on the Magi, I would have somehow figured out how to apply it. I just wanted y'all to know that. I thought it was really awesome. And I really wish that I was part of that, but I wasn't. Um, so here we're looking at this particular set of verses where we see the shepherds <coughs> are in the middle of nowhere. They're basically nobodies, and they're in the middle of, of this um, 
kind of field, and all of a sudden, something happens to them. And when something happens to them, there are appropriate reactions that they have. Whenever these reactions happen, these are tangible, absolute, without question, reactions that they have. Um, Noticeable, godly reactions to the fact that something has just been announced and something has just been displayed before their eyes, that they can't just see that or they can't just take it in. They can't just have some level of comprehension of it and then just fall back asleep and then count sheep the rest of the day. Like something has to happen in their life. And I'm going to see three of these, and perhaps there's more, but I think there's at least three. And as we see these, these three noticeable, tangible reactions, godly reactions that these shepherds have, I'm hoping that we can take those things and then apply them to our own lives and say, um, since something was displayed to them, something was announced to them, and they reacted to it, something has been announced to us, something has been displayed to us, and are we having those same type of reactions in our own lives? There shouldn't be um, within us uh, just a, an apathy or, or a ho-hum or, hmm, that's, that's interesting, that seems like great news, back to my life kind of thing. And I, I think there's some easy, I mean just obvious, easy crossover from what happens to the shepherds to what should be happening to our own lives. So let's look at these, uh, these verses here. We're going to be started at verse 8. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord. Now, we can pretty much guess that this had never happened to these shepherds before, okay? And so an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and then not only did he appear, it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now just think about this. This has never happened to you. You're out in the middle of nowhere. Maybe you're, you know, watching stars, having a meteor shower. You're just camping out. It doesn't matter. You and your friends are camping out. And all of a sudden, out of the sky, an angel appears in front of your eyes. I want you to just think. You're going to go camping tonight. You're laying out there, and you're just talking about whatever. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) something appears in the sky, and you're just thinking to yourself, are you seeing this? Because I'm seeing something, and I think this is weird. I don't want to say it because you're going to think I'm crazy and I have to go to Bull Street, but something's going on here. Um, that's the crazy house in Columbia. And then all of a sudden, not only does that happen, and then it says literally that the glory of the, lone sh- the Lord shone around them. Now, I've never actually visibly seen the glory of the Lord but can you just imagine the brightness in which that happens? So all of a sudden, the angel's there, and you're thinking, okay, but then all of a sudden, just, ah, oh, and you're like, okay, something's really going on here. And the immediate reaction that they have is completely appropriate. They are scared to death. You know, it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. You and I would have the same thing happen. We would be scared to death and run back in our tent. Something would happen. Um, And the funny thing is that the angel tells them, fear not. Uh, That just doesn't seem like, how? How do you not fear here? But he tells them not to fear. Now, before we get into the, the, the idea of fear and, and what I think is a reaction, I want to just um, point out something to you that maybe we've never thought of. Um, I've been spending some time with John Calvin this week, and he's just got some great thoughts on this particular set of verses that I want to I show us as we go throughout. But I think that maybe some of us, as we're going through life, would ever say to ourselves, why would God want to use me? I'm literally, you know, really obscure. I'm going to have a wife, have some children, die, and in 50 years, you know, after I die, pretty much be forgotten. Most of us are going to be forgotten. We're not going to be in history books. Um, 
I'm obscure. I'm a nobody. Why would he want to use me? He's no way interested in using me. He's much more interested in using someone else, someone way more famous, someone, you know, blah, blah, blah. I just want you to notice the coming of the announcement of God. The first time one of the big announcements is being made, who does he make it to? You know, you can just imagine the conversation. Um, hey, angel, whichever one it was, because we don't know, it's go time. I want you to go down there. It's time to do it. Oh, really? Angel's like, oh, really? Which king should I go to? Which, which well-known person? I've got a few down there that I've seen that seem to be, you know, not like you, but they seem to be pretty, you know, well-known down there. Who is it? Oh, yeah. Well, what, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to go to the middle of nowhere, Middle East. We're going to go down to the middle of nowhere in that Middle East at night. And there's a couple nobody shepherds. I want you to go make the coming of the announcement of God himself in the flesh to them. That's like of all people to pick. Why pick obscure nobody shepherds to make this announcement to? Um, I think that the best thing we can say is, yes, God wants to use you. God is in the business of announcing, using, making known, transforming the lives of obscure nobodies. He's always done that. It's always been this pattern. Um, God wants to use us. Calvin says, if we desire to come to Christ, let us not be ashamed to follow those whom the Lord, in order to cast down the pride of the world, has taken. Talking about um, he, to make the world who seems to be like they're the ones that should be used. God, to cast down their pride, takes the obscure people and uses them. He says... If then we desire to come to Christ, let us not be ashamed to follow those whom the Lord, in order to cast down of the pride of the world, has taken from among the dung of beasts to be our instructors. Now, it's not necessarily a compliment to be called a dung of beasts, but we get the point. The point is, Calvin's trying to make is, God deeply desires to use you in particular. doesn't matter how obscure you think you are. It doesn't matter how insignificant in all of creation of all of time that you live in. You know, really, South Carolina compared to the rest of the world, it's not the most interesting state in the world. It's not the most, it doesn't have the most interesting cities. Charleston's pretty interesting, but it's like the top 20 in the world. But other than that, we just think I, I, it can't be that one of the people that God wants to use for the bigness of advancing his kingdom is going to come out of Rock Hill. I, I just disagree with that. Perhaps it is. God definitely wants to use you. I, I don't think there's any doubt that we can say that God wants to use you. And now let's look at this for a second. Um, I know that we've probably read this a lot, uh, but I want us, like I was just kind of pointing out, I want us to get the idea here where it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, verse 9, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Something was put on display in front of these particular shepherds. Namely, the glory of the Lord they had in front of them in some way. We don't know, and it can't be recreated now, but there was in some way glory of the Lord that had been revealed to them. And not only that, we're going to hear the announcement of the gospel as well. So something happens where the glory of the Lord is revealed, the announcement of a Savior happens, and those two things coupled together, which in some way we can experience those things. The announcement of the gospel has been given to you, and in some way and somehow, as a believer, you have tasted in some ways the glory of the Lord, and that we should be reacting in the same ways that they're reacting. So they see the glory of the Lord, they're, they're filled with fear, they tell them fear not, which, you know, is a little bit crazy. 
Um, and he goes, for behold, I bring to you, and here it is, good news of great joy that for all people. So that's, that's pretty expansive. Good news of great joy. Remember, we've been talking about joy the entire book of Philippians. Great joy, not great happiness, great joy. Long-lasting, deep um, love of for Jesus and the things of God, no matter whether it's pain or sorrow or, or great times, I'm going to have joy, great joy. And it says, for all time. That's an expansive announcement. And then it says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. A lot of commentators are seeming to think that these particular shepherds are probably Jewish because they're announcing the city of David, which they would know, oh, that's Bethlehem. We're Israelites. We know the whole history. Um, A savior. Now, that's huge. A savior. Look at these three words he gives us. Savior, who is Christ or Messiah. The Lord, the Kyrios. Three huge titles where there's absolutely... Just no doubt who we're talking about here. The person that's coming is the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah of the Old Testament. And he is Lord over all. That guy is coming. So they see a display of the glory of, of God. They hear this big, huge announcement. And one of the things that they have, we can see right there at the end of verse 9 and the beginning of verse 10, where it says, and they were filled with fear, and the angel tells them, fear not. One of the appropriate reactions to this great display of the glory of God and the announcement of the gospel is, here's point number one, um, the news of the gospel creates in our lives a healthy fear of the glory of the Lord. A healthy fear, an appropriate reaction to the announcement of the gospel and the display of the glory of God when it when it's revealed to us by God in 2012 or whatever year you got saved is in our lives there should be there should be a healthy fear of God. Now let's talk about what that means and what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean scary. I'm not saying scary like if you go watch a scary movie. Um, <laughs> I wasn't playing on this. It's awesome. All right. So uh, back in seminary, 2001, Christy and I have gotten better, so don't judge us. But we used to watch sometimes scary movies. It was 2001. We were watching The Ring, you know, and The Ring has this movie. I can't, I can't remember the context, but basically if you get a phone call and you answer it, you got seven days to die, something like that. And so we watched it. It was really, really late at night, um, really late. It was, it, I think it finished at at least 1130, 12. It was, it, well, maybe 11, 11 p.m. It finished. And so we had all the lights off and it's really scary and, and there. And, and Christy does not handle scary movies at all. I mean, she doesn't even watch them anymore. She says, I can't handle it. I can't sleep for like days. And so they don't bother me so bad. And so we're watching The Ring. Um, and then right as the movie is ending, and it doesn't have, if I can't remember, it doesn't have this, you know, this upbeat ending. Um, why would it? So right whenever it ends, like it, this, the movie ends, the screen goes black, the first credit rolls. I mean, just, it's like instantaneously, the, as we're seeing that first name, we have a home phone. I don't know if y'all know what those are. What home phones are is they have these things that plug into the wall and they call your house. They don't call you. They call your house. And so as soon as the movie ends, black screen, while that first credit's coming on, ring. And so Christy looks at me just as serious as she can. She goes, don't answer it. Don't you answer it. I mean, just scared to death. This is not what we're talking about when we're talking about fear of the Lord. It's not like, you know... The ring, you know, that crazy girl. So I did answer it, by the way. It was just Christy's mom. Um, so she's like, why are you calling me at 11 p.m.? I didn't know. So um, anyway, we're not talking about this, this kind of scary, scary movie thing. What we're talking about here when we talk about fear is a reverent fear to who God is and who we are. Calvin talks about this idea of, of 
this reverent fear and what it causes in us. He says, the majesty of God could not but swallow up the whole world. This is what we mean by reverent fear. An awareness of who he is compared to who we are. It says, the majesty of God could not but swallow up the whole world if there were not some mildness to mitigate the terror which it brings. And so the reprobate, that's us, this is the reaction. The reprobate falls down lifeless at the sight of God. I know what you're thinking. Calvin, why are you so cheery? Um, But basically what he's trying to drive home for us and what Luke wants to drive home for us and what God himself, I think, because he inspired Luke to write this, and what he wants us to know is that the announcement of the gospel, the display of the glory of God, when that in some way in your life happens, there must be a healthy fear that couples with our lives, um, a healthy fear of the glory of the Lord in our lives. It should cause us to think differently about ourselves, more rightly about him, and there's just a reverent fear that we have. Not scary, just an appropriate fear of the Lord based on who he is. Um, now, I don't want you to miss the announcement that he gives them. He, he displays his glory, and then he gives this announcement, which we're going to go over, and it says, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy for all people. That is an expansive announcement. Just an amazing, expansive announcement. And then, the very familiar verse, I know you're going to hear Linus say it in in verse 11, but try to take away Linus and Charlie Brown and enter yourself into, just phrase by phrase, this beautiful gospel announcement in verse 9. Pretend you've never heard verse, I'm sorry, verse 11. Pretend you've never heard verse 11 before and just sit and just meditate on this particular verse that our Savior who is promised in the days of the Old Testament, has come. And it's being announced to man that God himself is now, being, is now coming. He has come, our Messiah. And it says this, For unto you, now it's not, it's not uh, easy to see, but that unto in the Greek is to you, and it's just insanely emphatic in the Greek. Unto you, like you can read in uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And so this particular verse here in verse 11 is not for unto us. It's to you. Like think singularly to me. To you is born this day in the city of David. Promising that he is the king. A savior. He will be the person that takes on the sin of the world. And thereby we are saved from our sins who is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who's been talked about in all of the Old Testament, the Lord, the Lord, the Yahweh, the I Am, the the ruler and reigner over all things, the, the one who is absolutely sovereign over all things. He's coming. Just sit and kind of let your mind wrap around and meditate on that particular gospel announcement. That he has come. This is... A magnificent announcement that it's to all people. So if you're in this particular room, it says this great joy for all people. If you're you're in this room right now and you don't know Christ, this announcement is for you. You can have a Savior, a Lord, forgiveness of sins. You can experience forgiveness of sin in Christ right now. Trust in Jesus right now. Put your faith in Him for what He's done for you on the cross, taking all your sins. Become a Christian right now. Cross over from death to life. Experience life everlasting with God, not life in judgment in hell forever. 
Right now you can experience that if you just trust him. This is a magnificent announcement of the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Um, Calvin says, until men have peace with God and are reconciled through him to the grace of God, all the joy that they experience is deceitful and of short duration. Any level of peace that you think you might have, if it's not with God, if it's not with God, you may be experiencing what you could define as peace, but it's deceitful peace, and it's of short duration. It will only be for this lifetime. Only by Christ are we reconciled to God himself forever. So as we sit and meditate on that, um, the gospel causes some things that happens in our life. When we understand verse 11, Calvin says, When men hear the single word that God is reconciled to them, it only raises up those who are fallen down, but restores those who are ruined and recalls them from death to life. Recalls them to death to life. And so as we hear this, it should cause within us a deep desire to want to delight in the things of Jesus. This is what he says. Calvin says, let us learn to be so delighted with Christ alone. So as we, as we take on the fact and we understand the fact that there should be a reverent fear. One of the first things is a, an appropriate reverent fear to the gospel announcement and the display of the glory of God. Calvin says, let us learn to be so delighted with Christ alone. As we fear the Lord, it should drive us to only delight in him. He says, let us learn to be so delighted with Christ alone that the feeling of his grace may overcome and remove from us the bitterness of the flesh. The bitterness of the flesh. We should be so delighted in Christ alone as our Savior. And whatever's happening in our life, we're going to press into him more. If there's things going on in our life that he knows that, that aren't pleasing to him, we want to let go of those things out of an appropriate, reverent, right fear of him and let Christ alone be our delight. So here's, and I only have one um, application question based on this first question. And th- I think this is personal. This is, this is very personal. In, in the South, we call it meddling. But, you know, this is what it says. Um, what is the fear of the Lord based on this? There should be an appropriate level of fear. What is the fear of the Lord driving you right now to think on, um, approach? What is it right now calling you or asking you to remove in your life? What is it in your life that you hold on to dearly that's not honoring to Christ? What is the fear of the Lord driving you or asking you right now to remove in your life to show that you are so delighted in Christ alone and not those particular things? Not whatever that is. And let me, let me throw this second thing. This is just a backup statement in case you're thinking nothing. Um, I hesitate to say this because I don't want it to come off judgmental or wrong. Um, I don't believe it's possible for you to answer that question with nothing. I don't believe it's possible. Um, and if you're thinking, I can't think of anything or it's nothing, then I would submit to you in the humblest way that it's probably pride. There's no I don't think, possibility that when we're approached with the display of the glory of God and this beautiful announcement of the gospel, that he's not asking us to delight ourselves only in him alone. And it, it brings up things in our lives. It, it, it shows us things in our lives that we cling to more than Jesus. And he's saying, this has got to go. By the power of the Spirit, this has got to go. Now, The second thing I want you to see um, is in these next set of verses. 
you can see here in verse 12, and it says, this will be a sign for you. And so basically the angel's trying to give them instructions on how to find Jesus. This will be a sign for you. You'll find him. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I mean, just Jesus came and entered as, at least in one of, the poorest conditions that a baby can be born into the earth. Wrapped in just blankets and clothes, laying in a horse trough, probably in the side of a cave. Um, and suddenly, there, all this was just coming with the angel. And I want you to picture this. All of a sudden, it says a multitude of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. All of them. I mean, just scores and multitudes and no, myriads and myriads. Just, they appear in here into the, and, and they start singing out to him. They start singing out to the angels. And it says, a heavenly host praising God saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Can you imagine just this one angel? I can't even imagine what it was like as far as volume. And then all of a sudden, scores and multitudes start appearing. And they all start singing out praises to God. The sheer volume of this. I mean, the volume of multitudes of angels singing praises to God as they're hearing this must have been almost completely overwhelming. I, I, wish, I wish that we would get to see it or experience it they're announcing at just amazing volumes peace they're announcing peace and so as we're saying glory to god on the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased we want to we want to think about what kind of peace is he talking about what kind of peace are they singing and proclaiming to us um i think it's very helpful uh to think about it this way the kind of peace that they're talking about is not some kind of outward peace that men try to achieve with one another, um, but instead, it's only speaking of the peace that man experiences and has when he has been finally reconciled to God. They are announcing peace that is possible for all mankind if they trust in Christ their Savior. And so they're singing of this great peace that is possible now for all of us um, at just amazing volumes. And then it says, when the angels went away um, from them into heaven, the shepherd said, whew, that was a lot. Let's take a nap. That's not what they said at all, right? Just notice here what it says. It says, let us go. And if you look in verse 16, it says, and they went with haste. So as soon as an announcement was made, the beautiful announcement of the gospel, which, by the way, you've heard, immediately they have to do something. There is a, let us go. We, we, we got to do something. We, there, something has to happen absolutely right now. So let's, let's look at point number two. Um, the news of the gospel, the display of the glory of God, however you want to say it, in our lives must compel us. Now, I didn't put it in there, but I want to write, uh, must compel us to immediate action. And then you can change verse 15 to, to 15 and 16, because 16 says, um, they went with haste. I meant to put immediate and I didn't. But the news of the gospel in our lives must compel us to immediate action. Let's just ask it this way. When will you and I finally, when will we finally have our, as they had, let us go moment? I mean, what are we waiting on? Really, what are we waiting on? College to be over? Finally have our kids? Finally the kids to be out of the house? We're always going to find something, Right? What are we waiting on? I think that we're obedient that, to that command in some levels. I think we, we get it and we, 
I don't think we just don't do anything. I think we do things, but I wonder if we're as all the way obedient as we could be. When are we going to have, as it says, let us go make with haste? When are we going to finally have in our own lives, and I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to me. When are we finally just going to wake up and say, it's time for me to have my real let us go moment? Calvin here, this is pretty interesting. Whenever he's looking at this, he says, uh, it's not explained, it's not uh, in plain language or expressed right away that they're commanded to go to Bethlehem, although he believes that that's, that was kind of in there. But being sufficiently aware that it was the design of God that they should go to Bethlehem, they hasten to go see Christ. But the thing is, is that we have a definite command. Go make disciples, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And there's no, we don't have to question whether that's really been told to us or not. So when are we going to finally say, it's time for me to have my let us go moment right now. Immediate action. I'm, I'm tired of playing. I'm not going to make excuses for the next thing to finally get over. And then I'll start being the person that's going to do the thing that he's asked me to go do. Go make disciples. They went with immediate action. Um, instead of allowing the word of God, as, as many of us are maybe prone to do, to, to come to us, we hear it, and then just kind of pass away into disobedience, we all must let the word of God come down and strike deep into our roots, creating with us the power, by the power of the Spirit, to go now and obey immediately, before that desire to obey wanes away and goes away. We need to be men and women of immediate action. Let's, let's start with all the power of the Spirit within us, and it'll be all for God's glory. Say, that let us go moment is, is going to finally happen in my life. I'm not going to put it off anymore. The second thing that we see is the news of the gospel in our lives, much like the shepherds, must compel us to immediate action. Now, um, that's the second one. The first one was a deep understanding of the fear of the Lord. The second was drive us to immediate action. I want you to see the third one. The angels went away. It said, let us go over to Bethlehem, see this thing which has happened. And they went, um, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I mean, can you even just imagine how that feels to walk up? And all these things are happening. You think you're crazy. And all of a sudden you walk up and there he is. And you're just, wow, it was all real. It was all true. You can just imagine the anticipation they had as, as they saw. Um, and then, so they immediately began to tell Mary and Joseph they made it known. That's just a side note. I think that we should be in the, 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 the same kind of mindset whenever we uh, come up to people and something's happened in our life. I need to make it known. I just need, I need, to, I need to let you know. Um, but, and so that's immediately they make it known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. All who heard it wondered um, what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up these things in her heart, pondered them in her heart. And then notice this. I want you to see verse 20. Um, and the shepherds returned. Okay. Um, they went back to everyday, ordinary life. That's what God's called us to. He's called us to live in the everyday, ordinary, day-to-day, in and out, with our community, life. Very few of us are called to go launch out into some crazy, different, crazy thing. What did they do? They heard this announcement. They said, we've got to do something. We have a healthy fear. We've got to have some immediate action. And then after that, they went back and they rejoined their everyday life. That's, that's, that's where we are. That's our lot in life. More than likely, every single one of us, we go right back to our lot in life. Now, how did they go back to their lot in life? Because we, we're all going to live in the day-to-day. There's no question about it. But let's look at how they went back 
to their day-to-day. Look what it says here. Verse 20. And the shepherds returned back to what God had already called them to do. They were shepherds before the announcement. They're shepherds after the announcement. None of that changed. But look what happens here. They weren't doing this. As the shepherds returned, look at that, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as had been told to them. What did they do? They joined in with what was already happening back up in verse 13 and 14. What were the angels doing when they came? And suddenly there was an angel with multitudes and the heavenly hosts saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men. So there's these angels that are coming, displaying and singing out and giving glory to God and praising him. They go see the baby. They understand the announcement more fully. They go right back to their everyday, ordinary lives. And then they join in with what's already going on with all of creation, which is, namely, worshiping and praising and glorifying God with their lives. So... The third reaction, the third godly, appropriate reaction whenever we see the glory of God and we understand the gospel announcement is that we join in with all of creation doing what we've been wired to do from the very beginning. Point number three, the news of the gospel invites us into the entire story of creation. What's the entire story of creation, Fudd? What does that mean? That's, That's a broad way to say things. The entire story of creation is all of creation has always been glorifying and praising God. You're invited into that thing to do that very thing. All of creation has been praising and glorifying God. You're invited in to be a part of praising and glorifying God. We see that. Namely, we join in with all people, all angels, every time period. We live in 2012. This was 2,000 years ago. Even 3,000 years ago before that, people. And then... Until Jesus comes, there will be praising and glorifying. This is the story of all creation, lifting high and glorifying the name of Jesus. And we are invited into that every time period to glorify and praise God. The immediate reaction that the shepherds have at the announcement of the birth of Jesus and the display of the glory of God is, I am going to go now. And live my life in such a way that glorifies and gives praise and honor to Jesus. The birth. Don't miss this. This is huge. This is where it gets awesome. The birth caused that. The announcement of a baby being born. Look at their reaction. Which is astounding. To the birth just the birth. Oh, this is where it gets so good. This is what Calvin says. This is where you just like, oh, that's so good. If the cradle of Christ, the the baby bed of Jesus, baby Jesus, if the cradle of Christ had such an effect upon them as to make them rise from the stable and go to the manger to heaven, don't miss this, how much more powerful ought the death and resurrection of Christ be to us and raising us to God and worshiping Him. The birth caused this. We have the glorious privilege of being able to look back in history and not just see the birth, but the death for us on our behalf in the glorious resurrection proving to us that He is God, that He is all-powerful over everything, and we are absolutely saved. If the birth caused this reaction, this amazing reaction, just consider us 
who have the privilege of the death and resurrection of Christ as well, what should be our appropriate response? Isn't that so good? I just made me, I thought it was awesome. Um, (laughs) And so let's think about this for a second. You and I, if we're in Christ, have been picked, selected. I'm just going to use a whole bunch of words just so that we can all feel like we're part of it. Um, We've been, sometimes maybe you've been on a thing and uh, you, you weren't picked or you weren't selected. Maybe you're picked towards the end. I'm not, I'm not feeling a little bitter here, but we had a black and blue football Friday the other day, and I was last pick. I, it kind of hurt my feelings, but whatever. Um, but by God here, this is what happens. God here has picked, selected, elected, chosen, ordained, predestined, whatever word you want. You, by God, has picked you, if you're in Christ, to join in with what's always been going on, namely the glorifying and praising of his name. He has reached down for unto you is born. He's picked you individually and says, I don't care if you're obscure like the shepherds. I want you to come and join in with everything that's going on in all creation and be a glorifying worshiper of Jesus. Because we have the privilege of not just seeing the birth, but the death and the resurrection of him. Come and be a part of this amazing story, which is, in the big picture, giving glory to Jesus because of the forgiveness you have at the cross. That's that's awesome. And I'm just wondering, do we really get that? I mean, do we even try to begin? We're not going to fully, but to begin to understand that you in particular, you individually are so loved by him that he put forward his son for you to now become a worshiper of him. You get to join in to the amazing privilege of what all the creation's always been doing, giving glory to God, the creator of all things, the lover of your soul, the one who was willing to come and die for you, though he was perfect and innocent. It's an amazing privilege. We're going to go into a time of response here. And as we do, I just ask that you let the Holy Spirit lead as we reflect through worship when an extended time. You can just consider yourself. What are my appropriate reactions to the display of the glory of God and the announcement of the gospel in my life? Are they filled with reverent fear? Are they considering that I have to be compelled to immediate action? Not letting this short mist of a life sweep past me without doing immediate things for the glory of God. Am I just astounded at the prospect that the God of all creation has invited me in to be a worshiper, a lifter high of the glory of God? I get to praise Him forever. Let's think on those things. And spend some time in thought and prayer about those things. And then stand with all creation at the great privilege that we have to get to lift high the name of Jesus. We'll do it through song. And then you'll be sent for the rest of the week to go do it in action. I'm going to pray and turn it over to Ben and we'll, we'll sing. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for 
this precious truth that you've revealed to us your glory. Not fully, but definitely enough that we can know you and appreciate your glory and that we can understand this great gospel announcement. Our Savior has come. Our Savior, our King, our Lord, our Messiah. He has come and bought us. We are His. And this is great news. This is amazing news. Cause us, Lord, to consider this and react and worship appropriately. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.